0: I don't have anything to say about eggnog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let me get let me oh, get sorry. to eggnog before you say that you don't have anything to say about it. You already told me you have at least one thing to say about eggnog, so I don't know what why you're oh, yeah. so reticent.
0: That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's not even a thing about eggnog. It's a thing about sherry, but
1: <laughs> oh, oh, sorry.
0: It's, it's eggnog <laughs> incidental adjacent. Exactly. But for you, everything's eggnog adjacent this this <laughs> time <it>? of year. <laughs>
1: Alan, this is our last episode before Christmas.
0: Is that even possible?
1: I know it seems weird, right? <laughs> I promise, though, It's it October. seems weird because we're recording this episode on December fourth, but it's not coming out until. Wish I had my calendar in front of me. would be a lot less dumb. Thirteenth. Thirteenth. Shocking. hope you have all your (laughs) i hope you have all your christmas shopping done Alan. I, i hope you have all your christmas shopping done future alan
0: i didn't actually think about how this was the last one before christmas but hold on
1: oh geez suddenly you're inspired oh my god this is so great okay yes perfect Alan, you just swapped your hat for a Santa hat. I can't believe you had that right beside you.
0: Well, I was wearing it right before we started recording. um, Oh, it makes sense. Because we put up our Christmas tree this past weekend. Right on. And then some evenings I just wear a Santa hat.
1: Like to wear it. (laughs) I was actually feeling a little bit chilly. I don't know, my my house feels a little bit cold today. I don't know if that's just because I'm tired or my house is actually cold. Mm-hmm. Says it's the same temperature as it always is, but I put on a sweater before we started recording, and now, yeah, it feels very tis the season, Alan. Keep your ears warm. You got a Santa hat and those giant headphones. I can't imagine that your ears are cold now.
0: I can't hear a word you're saying. Actually,
1: <laughs> the hat's that thick. Mm-hmm. Dang. I mean, okay, what? well, <laughs> I'll crank up my mic output oh. gain if you need. So it's almost Christmas. That means that hopefully by now, both of us, what, have some eggnog that is aging in the fridge?
0: Well, actually, if you remember from last year, we we tasted aged eggnog beside freshly made eggnog. And we both agreed that the aging did not...
1: Make it much better. (laughs) Yeah. If
0: anything, it made it a little bit worse. (laughs) A little more... Yeah yeah I, I'm I'm like I'll I'll make some uh maybe a week or two before before Christmas but I'm not I'm not in That's the long cool. game anymore for for eggnog aging.
1: Dang. So what is it that you're going to start aging for Christmas then? You going to start doing fruit cakes?
0: Well, historically yeah. I've done fruit cakes but then little kids my little kids don't like the the rum soaked the 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 rum saturated um aged fruit cake
1: so you heard it here first kids don't like fruit cake
0: well <laughs> we we have done that in the past though where we've we've yeah. made the cake a month out and 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 spritzed it with rum every day or two until christmas but i haven't started that either so hmm.
1: I don't really want to go down a crazy rabbit hole, but do you have any Christmas food prep plans yet?
0: Um, not really. Like the our usually we do our dinner on Christmas Eve. Our dinner our festive dinners are becoming like increasingly simpler and simpler just uh because of time constraints. Um so most And also likely, because
1: simple food is amazing. Well,
0: yeah, fair enough. Um but like our, our thanksgiving turkeys have become thanksgiving chickens that 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 right. kind of trend um yeah. so yeah it, it'll be a simple something something poultry mashed potato stuffing not much else um and some we've we've already started some christmas baking we made shortbread cookies this weekend and stuff like that but um, that's cool the one, the the one beloved tradition that will continue that we've definitely talked about before is that potted pork dish that we like to make around the holidays. Um, I also spend my entire year's uh, cheese budget. Oh well, no, I I mean I I eat cheese all all the time, but uh, fa- really fancy <laughs> but you have special to somehow cheese.
1: Get the money for that cheese out of the non-cheese budget.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's. Some shady accounting going on, but the we (laughs) I like to go to Patty's International Cheese Market and buy actually uh, some some very specific cheeses that we like to um eat around Christmas all all from Quebec I think now that I'm saying it out loud oh that's cool um yeah that's what I'm yeah my mom usually
1: likes to go to Patty's and pick up a bunch of cheese for Christmas Day for us to have like some kind of cheese board before we kind of have dinner and there Mm -hmm. are some yeah there are some like um some pretty strong traditions about which cheeses we wind (laughs) up getting Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) yeah usually (laughs) the the cheeses that i buy are like they're so narrowly focused on quebec and certain styles that usually it it, uh, garners a remark from the person who's who's cutting them and portioning them for me and they're like oh (laughs) Somebody really the likes same? the Gaspe, or I don't know what.
1: That's funny. Well, yeah, I also am going to make some eggnog. Um, yes. In the And you said fashion. you maybe have a hot tip for me for where I can get some sherry this year.
0: Well, the only because. Um, the, the recipe that we've talked about year over year is uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler's uh, eggnog recipe that has a Amontillado sherry and Añejo yeah, right. tequila. And I remember, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, wherever I was looking, they did not have a Amontillado sherry, um, even in the kind of boutique uh, wine stores. But I was at... Divine Wines and Spirits downtown, hundred and fourth street. Oh, really? And they had um they had a there very recently. Oh, cool that, So
1: that is a good tip. Yeah. And I feel like if I go this week, maybe I'll still be able to.
0: You might be able I, to
1: get. <laughs> like I didn't have too much trouble last year. I think it was the year before. I yeah. Also, I I had trouble finding some, and in fact, I called a bunch of liquor stores in the city and couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. Um I was, like, scraping the bottom of, of the barrel of, like, the last, like, 200 mil bottles and stuff.
0: Yeah. The, but, the general uh, trend here is, like, something like a Liquor Depot will only have, um, like, inexpensive sweetened sherry, like, Bristol cream-style sherry. And to yeah. have the the true, like, Olorosos and Amontillados, you have to go to a boutique liquor store. And even then, they, they usually only have like two or three samples of any kind of sherry. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we got, I scored an Amontillado at, uh, Divine.
1: Sweet. Yeah. I can't remember where it was last year that I got Amontillado, but I got, I, I found like 750 mil bottles for like, not that crazy expensive. I'm sure it wasn't really great Amontillado, but also I'm putting it in eggnog. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, probably fine.
0: How big a batch are you making?
1: Oh, man, I have no idea. See, I've been making such a huge batch for the last few years because I've been giving a lot of it away as sort of like Christmas presents. But last year, there were definitely some people who were like, hey, are you going to be making eggnog? And I'd sure love to have some. But there were a lot of people who I was like made some for and like brought it. To the fridge at work for people to pick up, and some of it never got picked up. And I was like, okay, maybe it's maybe maybe the uh, the dream of eggnog is over.
0: So you've got some aged eggnog, then is that what you mean?
1: No, I rescued it and oh, brought it home and repurposed it. But, mm. <laughs> but makes maybe good ice I'm cream. not going to go so. Cr- What's that?
0: Probably makes good ice cream.
1: Yeah, actually, I haven't ever churned my actual eggnog into ice cream i don't know it's it would be there's so much alcohol in it that it might not freeze very well it might not it might get really icy before it freezes because things with alcohol in them have a tendency to take quite a while to freeze Mm -hmm. but that's a really interesting idea alan i don't know why i haven't tried to do that before clearly i'm gonna have to do that and then talk about it on the show (laughs) just make a little note about that (laughs) great
0: Christmas twenty twenty four episode done.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) This hat's too hot. I knew it. Welcome to Food Court. I'm Alan Sudaby and I'm here with my good buddy Shale McDonald. Hey Shale. Hey Alan. We're two chefs in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food and we love the soccer.
1: Merry Christmas. (laughs) Jingle, jingle, jingle. (laughs) This is not actually a Christmas episode. (laughs) Although, I am starting to feel like I'm getting into the holiday spirit
0: a little bit. (laughs) Me too me too it felt like at work today everybody's like oh how was the weekend kind of banter was like oh yeah we put up the christmas tree and we um,
1: oh man yeah (laughs) so last week my sister got out a whole bunch of our christmas decorations and we were going to decorate on last sunday we were going to put up all our lights and stuff and then i don't know she wasn't feeling particularly ambitious (laughs) <laughs> that day and then i kind of also didn't want to do it on my own so we haven't put up our lights yet and stuff but i hope we get to it soon because you
0: really just threw brown under the bus there <laughs> 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 like well, we were gonna and then she didn't really want to and <laughs> okay i'll take it out
1: <laughs> i didn't think i was throwing her under the bus but now that you mention it
0: <laughs> i mean
1: I thought it was a perfectly normal human thing to not want to put up Christmas decorations, but maybe that made her seem lazy.
0: (sighs) And it snowed last night.
1: I was going to put up my Christmas decorations last weekend, but I was too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Revisionist history, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it snowed last night. I had to actually shovel the walks. Actually, it's shocking that we're in the month of December and I've only had to shovel, like I had to shovel the walks once, in kind October. of, in October. <laughs> and yeah. then for the entire month of November, it didn't snow. There was no precipitation whatsoever in the entire month of November. Oh, mm. uh, yeah, I guess weather is probably not the best thing to talk about on the podcast, but I'm <laughs> telling you, it's so crazy. Not having to shovel my walk ever. hmm feels weird. But yeah, there's some snow on the ground now. It's starting to feel like Christmas is just around the corner. It's good. Yep. Um, do we have any follow up, Alan? We do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you, but I'm the one with follow up. Um, it's just a little bit of follow up. We talked a lot about the uh eighteen ninety three Chicago World's Fair. Mm. Um some in the last episode and and then a couple episodes ago. And um, a friend of the show, Spencer, who had kind of tipped us off about that, I guess, originally, about the uh, menu that we were talking about um, from the book Devil in the White City. Mm. Uh, he, yeah, he messaged us on Instagram and just provided a little extra context. Maybe I'll try to read a little piece of it here. Basically, I, th- I think the meal was like prepared before the um, before the World's Fair to try and entice a bunch of, like, artists and, um, I don't know, like, thinkers and stuff to come and attend the fair and, like, provide artworks for it and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a little bit uh, before. And uh, it was like... The book is about like the planning of the World's Fair and how crazy it was to try and throw it and how no one thought that they could do that in Chicago and nobody thought that they should really. But there was Mm -hmm. like a couple of really ambitious uh, men who wanted to show off Chicago and change the reputation of the city from like a hog processing city to like, you know, a a big city on the world stage Mm -hmm. or whatever.
0: It sounds like an episode of Seven Days Out.
1: It would be a great episode of Seven Days Out. I think. Mm -hmm. Actually, I I was reading a little bit about the book, and apparently, like like half of the book is about um, the guy who is planning the World's Fair. His name was I have it here, Daniel H. Burnham, and then the other half of the book is about a man named H. H. Holmes who was a serial killer masquerading as a doctor. Okay. So that makes the narrative of the, of the book sound really interesting. I'm kind of interested in reading it now. But yeah, apparently and, the context of the meal was that they were throwing it to sort of like entice all these like um, fancy artists and stuff to come and provide their works for the World's Fair to show mm-hmm. off Chicago. Um, yeah, he sent an excerpt here. It's like... Uh, McKim assigned Frank Millett to secure the attendance of the nation's finest painters, and these took their seats beside the most prominent writers and architects and the patrons who supported them all, men like Marshall Field, Henry Villard, and together they spent the night lauding Burnham, who was the man who was throwing it,
0: mm.
1: prematurely for achieving the impossible. So yeah, that's interesting. I think I want to read that book now. mm although I don't think much of it is, is about food. But I think it's interesting that it's about throwing the World's Fair and a 19th century serial killer.
0: <laughs> is the serial killing part, like, does that tie into the World's Fair?
1: I don't know. I assume so in some way. Um, although, like, the the few, th- few things that I read about the book didn't really explain how. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like I was thinking, cause the guy who was planning it, Burnham, he had a partner who was helping him plan it who died. I don't know if that, if he was murdered or I don't know. I guess I'll have to read it. I'll get back to you, Alan.
0: Okay. You got a long reading list?
1: Yeah. I'm starting to have like a really long reading list, um, but I'm getting through it.
0: What percent of the reading list is uh, written by Kenji.
1: unfortunately kenji doesn't really write enough for for it to yeah i i don't i can't just read cookbooks unfortunately oh so um but part of the reading list is uh still some jonathan gold i haven't gotten all that far through um his book yet so so that's part of it and then the the other thing that's on it which is uh show related is um the Omnivore's Dilemma, which I oh, think really. I yeah. mentioned like a couple episodes ago that I had never read and mm. you were shocked. So yeah, <laughs> yes. that's on there. And I I bought the audiobook version of it and I think I'm going to read it after or listen to it, I guess, after the book that I'm currently listening to. Cool. So yeah, I, hopefully I'll have some stuff to talk about when I'm reading that as well. Mm. So Alan, yes. what do you want to talk about tonight?
0: Well, we were thinking about um, talking about a menu that we served that we had. How did it come up? Right. Oh, yeah. A, so,
1: why were we talking about it? Hmm.
0: Something to do with frozen plums.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right? Isn't that? I don't know, that know how, how we got up? on it.
0: But yeah. There's there's actually been a couple preparations on it that have come up over the years, like literally over the last few years of our recordings. Um, mm-hmm. But most recently, um, there was something... Oh, should, we should really know this before we start talking about it. We were,
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you, it, it, oh, it got brought I remember, up in the last okay. episode because you were talking about the ice.
0: You, so you were talking about... You You were reading a menu from Qua that you right. had um, circa 2014. And it had a frozen plum dish and I can't remember if it was a sorbet or literally a frozen plum or what but I I asked you if that was the inspiration for this other for this dish that you served at a dinner that we both worked alongside Erica Um, because I I remember there being a a frozen palate cleanser dish that contain plum and thyme and you if I remember right you didn't have any recollection of what I was talking about and so I right. found the menu from this uh, multi-course dinner that we served at Little Brick um, and we thought it would be fun to just look at that menu and um, describe what we remember from that.
1: Yeah and reminisce about it and yeah. talk about um, actually, how <laughs> how I made that time ice and things like that. That was another thing right. that uh, Spencer messaged us about. Um, was that uh, he said he like fully remembered that the time ice preparation and he kind of remembered it better than I did. Um, right. He remembered the technique really well. Um, so I guess we'll get to it when we get to it here.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's funny because we we have the. Actually, we don't have the menu per se. We have what looks like maybe it was my notes on the menu before service, because some of it's quite right. detailed, like with ideas on pairings and what the components will be. And then other ones, other courses, it just says like, you know, shale to provide this or something or or Erica (laughs) to prepare that or whatever.
1: Yeah. And a couple of the dishes here I see have like all potential alternate preparations as well. Like for some reason, like if it didn't go well or something. (laughs)
0: Like I didn't trust someone to execute. No, I'm just kidding. It was, I think actually to to be honest, a lot of it hinged on uh, like reading through it now. um, There was a lot of um, uncertain, Sorry, uncertainty with regards to securing certain local fruits and vegetables, I think. So it was like, we'd like to serve Uri pears with this, but maybe we can't get them and stuff like that. Yeah. So this was a
1: dinner that was for a catering client, right? Yeah. Um, That we served at Little Brick Cafe Mm -hmm. when we were sometimes using it as a venue for doing kind of multi-course dinner services Mm -hmm. and weddings and things like that but this was not a wedding right
0: no my my memory is that it was a um basically a tasting menu for a small-ish group like maybe eight guests or so like they were all seated in that long table in the the dining room right outside the kitchen um so yeah I, i i i don't think it was more than 10 people for sure
1: right I feel kind of bad now actually talking about this without having Erica here oh (laughs) (laughs) would be would have been nice for us to um see if she was available to come on the show and talk about it
0: yeah because she made some really interesting yeah some preparations
1: for this menu yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. anyway too late now I guess right Alan (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> we can still follow up with her. But. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure I'll have it, some follow-up after this our, from Erica about this. In dinner. our
0: in our defense, we just decided to talk about this a couple hours ago. So
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't always yeah, exactly. It's not always um it's not
0: always a long game when we get on here. It's funny reading this, like there's so many things uh mostly for me, but when I think about you and maybe even Erica as well, like these kind of through lines, these ideas that kind of stick with somebody over many years. And I hope that doesn't just make me sound like a total hack, but like there's things, <laughs> there's things on this menu that are literally not not complete dishes, but there are ideas and flavor pairings on this um, eight-year-old menu, what nine-year-old menu, that are actually on the menu at Ernest's right now um, that's interesting which is yeah i don't know if that's cool or makes me look really lazy but
1: <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's just how it works oh my god know? there's
0: actually several oh my goodness that's embarrassing
1: <laughs> okay well, you have to tell us which okay, ones well, that they are as we go what? through the menu
0: okay well i think you'll be able to recognize a couple of them immediately. But yeah. Um that's fair. uh, But actually if we can start with one of your one of one thing that you and I have talked about many, many times that in my mind is like something that it's a shale, not a shaleism, but like a something that you're kind of borderline obsessed with is the idea of serving food in little paper cones. (laughs) Right? Isn't that like I love it too, but it's sort of yeah.
1: Am I imagining that? No, I I don't think you are. I don't think I have wound up actually doing it tons. um, Well, according to this
0: menu, you did it. Do you remember this or no? uh, Yeah, I do.
1: I I fully do.
0: The menu, as it's written, starts with hors d'oeuvres. And the first hors d'oeuvre listed is tempura chicken hearts, and then in brackets shale, because you're in charge of it. And it says chicken skin, smoked chili, honey, and lime. And then my own little bullet point says served in a paper cone. Right. Did we do that?
1: Yeah, we did. Okay, um, But they were on a skewer.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So they were served in a cone, but on a skewer so that it was easy for the diner to like take it out of the cone. They right. weren't like fishing around in a paper cone. like. Right. Yeah. Which for a fancy dinner is kind of weird, I'll admit. Um, but it's, I also it's... think it's kind of fun. It's playful, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's fun in, to have sort of like playful, in my opinion, like bringing kind of like street food style platings into a fancy dinner is like a fun way to kind of like liven things up a little bit.
0: Right. So in this paper cone, there were tempura chicken hearts and and crispy pieces of chicken skin. Is that right? Or? Uh, yeah,
1: I think so. Like chips, chicken skin chips kind of. Mm.
0: And they're kind of And then garnished. the honey
1: lime, the smoked chili was like uh was like part of the seasoning, I think, if I'm remembering mm. correctly. Then the honey lime was like a drizzle thing.
0: Mm. Sounds great.
1: Yeah. I I'd, I'd make that same thing right now. Mm. Sounds like a really good idea. Sometimes when I see my old ideas, I'm like, "Oh, Jeez, <laughs> like <laughs> that's overwrought or man. <laughs> right. But, but like, yeah, sometimes I see them and I'm like, yeah, I wanted to use chicken hearts and I thought this would be a fun way to do it. And yeah, I don't actually really remember super well how it tasted, though. I'm sure I tasted some because I was preparing them, but I don't, I don't have like a super, I don't have like a vivid taste memory of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's actually, not the last time that we'll see uh, chicken organs on on this menu. Now that I'm <laughs> thinking
1: for... provided by shale, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm a big fan of chicken organs.
0: the uh, The next order of as I wrote it, this is and th- again, just to read it, this is not like the final uh, copy of the menu. This is like the draft that we had probably the week before the dinner. So all yeah. I wrote was veg snack and then in brackets Erica. And then it says baby or French radishes coated in goat butter. And then I had we had an idea for an alternate in case we, I don't know, couldn't get radishes in September, I guess. Um, but I do distinctly remember this was an idea. I don't know if this is, um, I don't want to put words in Erica's mouth, but I believe this was inspired by the buttered radishes at um, Stone Barns. At Blue right. Hill, uh, because right. Erica and Nate had eaten there, and it's basically like a, it's it's burr uh that you dip radishes in, and then chill um, chill the dipped radishes down so that there's like this beautiful um, glaze of um, set butter on the radishes. Um, yeah, and I yeah, I do and remember I remember having this dish. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, it was great. And then okay, I want to ask because. <laughs> Yeah, I associate that dish with with Dan Barber. Um but it also appears in the exact same form in the Eleven Madison Park cookbook. Oh, and I really? want to know if there's like a is is there like a Dane cook uh, joke stealing kind of analogy, like <laughs> like one of those guys like invented that, and the other one stole it, or is it just like it's food, and you're not allowed to like accuse people of things like that because it's just food?
1: I I have no idea, and but but I do know that also Erica ate at Eleven Madison Park. Oh, so, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so maybe it didn't come from Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Maybe it just came from Eleven Madison Park.
0: Hmm. Okay. We. Sh- I yeah. would like to look into that because erica <laughs> see we need her here <laughs> yeah, yeah whoops
1: <laughs> <laughs> hopefully but it's we'll a great, have lots of follow-up
0: it's a great um it's a it's a wonderful idea and really tasty and really striking presentation um yeah it's a it's really fun
1: yeah it was great and then we have the next hors d'oeuvre is a salmon tartare which is your dish alan
0: Apparently, I don't remember this at all.
1: Really, West Coast yeah, salmon frugal. belly, beet chip, cucumber apple slaw. You don't remember <laughs> it at all, hey?
0: I mean, I can picture all of that, and it sounds like something that I would have made, <laughs> but I can't. No, I, I have no no recollection of it.
1: Fair enough. It, I, I don't, I don't exactly. This was probably a dinner that was being done while you were the catering manager at the or the uh catering production manager right yep
0: yeah for sure yeah
1: so you know along with providing the dishes that you were meant to provide you also had a lot of other stuff on your plate so it's not entirely <laughs> surprising <laughs> if you don't remember you every don't little to, thing that you, you prepared for this for
0: me. but yeah I, I don't i don't have like a visual memory of it but i mean beets salmon cucumber and apple sounds nice sounds like something sounds I would like make. your dish <laughs> yeah um and then uh there's a note so those are the three hors d'oeuvres the uh tempura chicken hearts the buttered radishes and the salmon tartare and there is a note on the drink pairing which apparently was a cremant de jura um so a traditional method uh sparkling wine akin to champagne but from jura instead of champagne right <laughs> so, sounds great i would i would love to eat all of this
1: I think I remember trying that wine, actually.
0: Yeah? Yeah. It's interesting. I I
1: definitely remember trying some sparkling Jura wines at Little Brick, by. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was this time or what. Then we have brassica salad was another one of Erica's dishes. Mm -hmm. And the notes here are mustard greens, egg yolk, milk skin, which I believe you also talked about last time when we were talking about this menu. I think you talked about the milk skin.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Pea tendrils, bull's blood, which is not actual blood. No. Apple cider vinegar and Malden salt. So yeah, I don't really remember this dish all that well. Honestly, I, I'm I'm shocked that I don't remember that we had that we were serving a dish that had milk skin on it. Mm. But um, yeah, interesting.
0: There. Okay. Again, I, I, I you're right. I'm sorry, Erica should be here, but I I know for several dinners like this, like the kind of protracted tasting menu dinners, this idea of like brassicas and poached egg, yeah, we, we would do often. And I'm in my memory, I put that forward, but then Erica was like, oh, but also we could do this really cool thing with um where there's a, a raw egg yolk on the dish but instead of it being a poached egg you you drape it with the milk skin so that it looks like a poached egg but it's this like this really interesting presentation right. um and I can So
1: was the milk skin just over the egg yolk then? Just wrapping the egg yolk? Or that's was how
0: it? I that's how I yeah. remember it. Yeah, so it oh. looks it looks almost exactly like a poached egg um but it's not the egg white. Um and I yeah, I can't I can't picture how this dish came together exactly but i do distinctly remember erica making the the milk skins because i i had never heard of like i yeah it was like magic to me i had never heard of that um but yeah eggs and brassica is a great uh a great and classic combination
1: man milk skins were the bane of my existence when i was at noma (laughs) i had to do that for like a whole week
0: i thought it was um (laughs) i thought it was um Chicken stock reduction skins or something wasn't it? Duck wasn't it like oh duck
1: yeah. duck skins <laughs> also yes that was also difficult but I, th- I, I honestly the well the duck skins were like less finicky than the chicken skins in a way
0: than the milk skins you mean or
1: uh yeah sorry yeah yeah did I say chicken yes weird. <laughs>
0: because I yeah sorry I put that, yeah, I yeah. Incepted um,
1: that idea. yeah the duck skins were less finicky than the milk skins in a way like the duck skins were easy to keep nice and thin and like in the like so you boil a pot of stock and then there's a skin that forms from the protein
0: mm-hmm.
1: on top and then you take that off and you put it on a piece of parchment and then you dry it and then you get like this crispy bit of like the film that forms on top of a stock. And yeah, so it's like ducks duck stock skins we made for one of the garnishes on one of the snacks, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then one of the one of the courses was like a dish that was draped, like fully draped with like a circular milk skin that basically covered the entire top of the plate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you'd start at like There's like a certain team at Noma when I was there that would start at like 5 in the morning or something, 5.30 or something, Mm. or 4.30 maybe. And most of the baking, most of the bakers started at that time as well. And there were a few things that, yeah, had to start being prepared like really early in the day because you needed to prepare them in the service kitchen, not in the prep kitchen. And Mm. so you needed to have them done before – the people started needing to set up for service. So making milk skins, if you were the one that was doing that, you'd get there, you'd get all the ingredients, you'd bring them down from the prep kitchen to the service kitchen, and then you'd fill up like a stove with six small pots of a certain size and start boiling milk um, and then... As soon as it formed a skin, pull the skin off and put it on a piece of parchment and then put it in a container. And then you would take those containers and put them in the fridge and then they would use them for service later. I can't remember mm. how many we needed every day, but it was a lot. <laughs> it took a long time.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it takes a while too. like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. Like the first couple that you try to pull off are like really fragile and not very cohesive but Mm. then after a while the protein starts to really like stick together and then they then it goes well for a while and then once too much water evaporates out of the milk then you have to start with a fresh pot of milk
0: and so how similar are those milk skins to Yuba are they way more delicate like way more tender or is it kind of the same thing or not really
1: yeah they're way more delicate than Yuba for sure like they're way well I've never made Yuba so I don't know how difficult it is to but like the other thing about them was that they had to be like Yuba in most cases it's fairly like it's so it's expected for it to be like kind of like folded up and like like with like with like ridges in it and stuff, but mm. the milk milk skins were supposed to be quite flat, so mm. that was tricky. I think the yuba, once the once the bean curd starts to form a skin, you can just sort of like scrape it off the top, and then you have a bunch of yuba. So, mm. yeah, mm. it was trickier. The technique for doing it was trickier than that, mm. um, but. I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't have enough experience with making Yuba. Like maybe there's a way that you can do Yuba in a similar way where it's like a very thin, very delicate sheet. Mm. So yeah. Mm. Do you want to say what the drink pairing was for that brassica
0: salad? It was a Weiss beer. It was a, one of the Schneider Weiss. Uh, um, right. Yeah. And that was another, that was a pairing that I, I, still, I still stand by it, but I haven't served in a while. But at the time I was kind of obsessed with this idea of like brassicas with like what, any beer. kind of like slightly bitter, mustardy green with with vice beer. Um, yeah. I was in love with that and we did it a lot. Um, yeah. And then the, n- the next course is one that we've talked about multiple times. <laughs> Several probably, there's, times on the show. Yeah. There's an image of not this exact um, rendition, but of uh, what I now call chicken liver mousse McDonald. um which is like potted (laughs) potted chicken liver mousse that has a cap of gelée uh to to be a very traditional mousse mcdonald it needs to be crab apple crab apple gelée yeah yeah jelly on top um but this was the first time that maybe you had made it before i don't know but it was the first time that i saw it and i really fell in love with it and like i said i have i definitely have made it and uh there's a picture of it on our Instagram, probably from two years ago. But um, Sweet. So the, the dish is chicken liver mousse and the descriptive copy is crab apple jelly, chive, brioche toast, schmaltz, and malden. Um, and so chicken liver mousse set in a small, it was probably in a um, half A cup small mason jar. Mason like a jar, yeah.
1: 125 mil mason jar.
0: Right. Um, with a, a layer of, Really vibrant red uh, Dolgo crab apple jelly on top. And I can't remember, I can't picture the final plate, but the note here says, brioche to be made by Erica, <laughs> um, toasted and brushed with schmaltz.
1: Yeah. And then it was served with a hard cider, which makes sense. Get the apple thing going on there.
0: Yeah. I think one that, I don't know what the legality of this was, but I think it was like a cider that I had made
1: Ah uh, yes,
0: that's how I remember it. Anyways, yeah,
1: I think so. And, natural, and so it says here, your note says a natural pairing for the liver and crab <laughs> apple.
0: Yeah, <laughs> apples pair with apples. <laughs> that's right. Um, and well, this so this is to give you an idea of how how much I love. Th- this is the first. Um, like this is on the menu. This was a, on the menu at Ernest when you. Uh, ate when there, I ate not, there this uh, fall. Yeah, not not Alan McDonald, like not with the gelée cap, but it was chicken liver mousse with um, apple with apple butter and brioche. Yeah, so it was we we didn't I don't think we mentioned that uh, when we were talking about that menu item, but that I, oh didn't we? Well, oh, that, I mean, we, that, that it was that, like that's inspired by yeah. a callback to you, basically.
1: <laughs> right, although. The format of your chicken liver mousse is like quite different from the way that I was making it when I made this dish. But That's true.
0: That's true. Yeah. And it was, yeah, we, we talked about that, how it was like a exploration of ways to unmold the chicken liver mousse or un- unpot the chicken liver mousse and make it uh, a free st- freestanding structure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then actually the the very next menu item um, here is a, a pear and parsnip soup. And this is, so this is another thing where it's like, I got it lodged in my brain about a decade ago that pear and parsnip is a wonderful combination. I think I got sent down that road actually by Corso 32. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, right. Because they had that uh, pear parsnip ravioli or something some kind of stuffed pasta or something. It was,
0: it was actually a, um, the first time that I ate at Corso was New Year's Eve, uh, 2013 or whatever the first New Year's Eve that they're open. And they had a celeriac and pear soup.
1: Mm. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Um, and I don't know, somehow in my mind I like I, I thought that was really fantastic. And just the idea of uh, root vegetable and pear. Um so yeah, it, I ended up using pear and parsnip quite a bit. Uh so here it's a soup, but on the menu at Ernest right now, there's the annulati that has a pear and parsnip filling. Um, but uh, anyways, the descriptive copy was Uri pear, sundog parsnip, crushed walnut, creme fresh, and sherville. Um, yeah, this one too, I think we would carry it out for catering quite a bit, but it was, it was just like a, yeah, silky smooth puree, uh, but interesting combination of root veg and yeah, sweet fruit and yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: when you were talking about celery I was like, man, I haven't had celereac in such a long time. I haven't used it in such a long time. And I really love it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of now I'm thinking maybe I can like sneak it into my Christmas dinner preparations somehow. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
0: Like just as a puree or just uh, Or maybe just
1: like roasted pieces and like toss them in something or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been trying it because like for, for our Christmas dinner – like we were saying before, most of it's like pretty. Like most of the stuff that I'm going to be preparing, it's like pretty traditional. I'm just I'm going to make a turkey, and I'm going to make stuffing, and I'm going to make mashed potatoes, and I'm going to make gravy. And I said I would make some kind of roasted vegetable. Um, and when we were talking about it, my mom, who I was talking to, and my sister in law, who I was talking to, were like, "Oh, like what roasted vegetable?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know, maybe yams or maybe." Um oh wow. I couldn't remember the name of Brussels sprouts when I was talking to them about it and it just blanked on it again now. It's so weird. Uh, maybe those, Brussels sprouts. Those little
0: cabbages. Yes,
1: those little guys, little cuties. I think that's what I said when I couldn't remember it when I was talking to them. I was like, you know, those little guys. Um but uh yeah, I I think it would be fun to surprise everybody with celery act and everybody would be like what and then hopefully if it's good enough they'll all be like oh we have to have
0: that every year do you think i don't know is it a polarizing flavor i know that celery is like an integral part of our ideas about stuffing and turkey preparations but like i don't know it's roasted celery root is it is it approachable is it comforting i think it is
1: I think if you yeah. treat it the right way and like, you know, if you make it rich and get and have some like sweetness in the dish and stuff like that, um, that, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's like, mm. because it has sort of like, I don't know, how how would you describe it? Like kind of a
0: celery like flavor, <laughs> <I'm just kidding.
1: laughs> not really though. Like, Yes. But, but it has, like, kind of a cutting sort of, like, a, it's not really acidity, but it's, like, kind of this, I don't know, this, uh, like, herbaceousness or something, like, mm-hmm. uh yeah, that, that like, really makes it taste bright, I think. And then mm-hmm. if you, like, you know, if you have a lot of, like, other Christmasy things, a lot, like, if, probably with, like, maple and nuts or something like that, like, that would really... Mm-hmm you know the because like most of the time when you make like a roasted vegetable or roasted root vegetables and you treat them in a way where you put a lot of sweetness with them and stuff like that or or like mix them with nuts or or other things like that like you know the flavors kind of like you wind up tasting more just the like rich warm Christmassy flavors and you don't necessarily get the character of whatever vegetable it is you're making or something. Right. But I feel like yeah. celery would like stand up a little bit better in that mm-hmm. way. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad thing, but I don't know. I love it. Well, I'm, and I'm a romantic. I want everyone else to love it too.
0: <laughs> I like it too. I'm curious to hear how it's received. And I don't know if you've read ahead, but you, you actually prepared roasted celery on this menu. That Shut up. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no i, I mean according to according to my notes but i'm a genius <laughs> <laughs> but the soup course for this dinner was not celery it was parsnip and pear yes yes and it was paired with a uh german uh cabinet riesling and i believe actually the soup was like the wine that was used in the soup was the same riesling so we were trying to have the wine in the soup um have similar kind of balances of sweetness and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, um, we had a pasta course after squash tortellini. It says looks, Hey, tortelloni.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Which is a pretty, pretty classic, uh, squash tortelloni, except that it had goat's cheese in with the, um, with the squash filling, uh, of the also, pasta, I but feel it was like with-
1: kabocha is like it's it's made with oh, yeah, kabocha squash, true. and I feel like that's maybe not super. Yeah, that's true. I feel like a lot of squash stuffed pastas that you find are either are usually butternut. It's like butternut or yeah, I don't know. I don't see yeah, kabocha actually, a lot.
0: Now that you mention it, I don't know what the like like a squash squash tortelloni is super classic in uh like emilia romagna i don't know what kind of squash they use or grow there now yeah. that we're talking about it um but it was served with brown butter sage um and then grizzly gouda in lieu of parm um but yeah besides some tweaks like the goat cheese and the kabocha it's a pretty straight ahead relatively classic um yeah Stuffed italian squash filled pasta yeah yeah served with a Pinot Nero a Italian Pinot Noir uh, from Trentino Alto Adige. That's interesting. There's a lot of interesting wines
1: on this list. Must have an extra wine budget or something.
0: (laughs) Uh, We certainly did. Yeah this is not uh, like most. (laughs) Yeah. Usually what we served at catered events was like pretty standard. not, Not this stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Then we have another dish from Erica. Mm-hmm. Halibut, it says. And the descriptive copy reads, cauliflower puree and tips, mascarpone, lovage, or celery heart. Hmm. I wonder which one we wound up with.
0: Yeah, I don't have a clear idea. The tips, I remember, like, basically, um, like, using a paring knife to take the very, well, yeah, the very tips of the florets off so that it almost looked like a white, like, snow kind of.
1: Right. Right
0: but I don't remember if the mascarpone was in with the cauliflower puree or what, but I do remember. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. We officially need to ask Erica what her recollections are. But I remember this, like one of the like uh, presentation conceits of this dish was that there was so, there was like a, a, there were several components that were white. Right. So you had the white fish and the cauliflower and the mascarpone and then it was set off by like the the really light green of the lavage and or or celery leaves. I don't know what we ended up using, but um, do
1: you remember if the fish was just poached? You don't remember? No, yeah, I, I don't, don't either. Know. I think I might have a picture of this though, of the plating oh, really? of this dish. Oh wow, possibly. So if I do, I'll pass it along. We can post it on the Instagram. Mm. Then we had the palate cleanser. Frozen plum, yeah, this is... like you said, with time ice.
0: <laughs> the, yeah, like okay. So I don't know if this is how it was actually printed, but it says palette cleanse, frozen plum section, time ice. Yeah, what a <laughs> what a mysterious contemporary <laughs> description that is. Can you please tell us about this show?
1: Yeah, so I think my idea here was just to because you know normally for a palate cleanser you have. Um, some kind of sorbet. But mm-hmm. the idea is usually to try and keep it fairly acidic, not too sweet, because the idea is to cleanse your palate. And for, for like in most cases, I think at the time that I was making, that we were doing this menu and that I was, you know, making fancy dinner menus with palate cleansers, I usually wanted to do some kind of sorbet or something that had some kind of herb flavor Mm -hmm. so then it sort of like keeps the continuity of the like savory portion of the meal but while giving you something that like you know is going to be refreshing for your palate i know on other menus uh i had done like uh bay leaf sorbets and things like that Mm mm-hmm Mm -hmm. So I think my idea here was like, well, why make a sorbet when nature makes you a sorbet already? (laughs) You know, like just eating a frozen section of like a kind of acidic fruit gives you a similar experience. And -hmm. I just thought it would be an interesting presentation. And then, um, yeah, I don't know where I got the idea to do the time ice but yeah it was like just a sheet of ice with thyme leaves frozen into it mm. and yeah i couldn't exactly I, I, you had said last time we were talking about it that you thought maybe it was like you know poured on top of oil or something and i think i was like i don't think that would work because the and water would sink
0: <laughs> the physics <laughs> yeah sorry i i did take grade eight science i just <laughs> no, <forgot>. I know.
1: <laughs> like it is a reasonable <laughs> thing to think on the spur of the moment um but Spencer actually fully remembered how I did it better than I did. Um and the what I wound up doing was uh making like a double or triple simple syrup, like a really thick simple syrup and then mm. putting that in like a wide sheet pan and putting it in the freezer until it was basically frozen like or really cold so that it was like Cause like it was, the syrup was like so syrupy that it wouldn't really freeze very well, but it got very stiff. Mm -hmm. And so then I had like a flat sheet of like thick syrup and then I floated a layer of water with thyme leaves in it on top of the, on top of the cold syrup and popped it back in the freezer. And then the water Mm -hmm. like froze in a layer on top and then I was just able to pick it off and break it into shards and use it that way.
0: And did the syrup play a role in like providing some residual sweetness? Definitely. Because the ice was like slightly sweetened
1: from the syrup when I got it off. I don't think that that was necessarily what I intended, but I I think like after trying it out, it was like a side benefit that I didn't mind having that I was willing to live with. Mm Mm-hmm. There's probably another way to do it that wouldn't involve making it sweet, but...
0: Right. And this, I I don't actually remember this necessarily being the first time that I was exposed to the idea, but e- your idea of having a herbaceous flavor in a palate cleanser has stuck with me to the point that, I don't know if you remember, but for my CCC, my mm. palate cleanser was rhubarb and basil right. sorbet, where it's like, it seems not like whatever it can it can be delicious and it can work but like yeah to have the the herbal note it kind of makes it more it, it integrates it better into your adjoining savory courses sometimes yeah i think so um where it's not just like you know appetizer ice cream main it's yeah. like appetizer and the, something that's like cool and sweet and herbaceous and then main
1: totally oh one um, more thing that i kind of like I do remember about this and and like and I think like now that you know like now that I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, I <laughs> I'm kind of excited about the idea of it was like I'm I'm pretty sure like the idea with the time ice, like cause it was like a thin flat sheet of ice that was then sitting on top of this plum. Mm-hmm. And I think like this may seem obvious, but like I think my inspiration for that was just like, you know, The beginning of winter like when when Mm -hmm. there's like a thin sheet of ice that forms like on top of like a lake or that's starting to form on top of a stream or something and you can like pick it up and it's like these super thin super clear shards of ice like that was sort of I think what I was trying to replicate something that you don't normally get uh, you know in your on, on your meal um but that is a really unique yeah. textural experience that i think everyone sort of has a little bit of like nostalgic connection to um yeah, yeah. that was sort of the idea and there,
0: there is i i can't remember any of the details at all but um in the the mind of a chef episodes um that feature magnus nilsson oh, yeah. he tries to make a dish that with, with that exact same memory um, association, but I can't. Remember. Oh, I wonder if that's I where I got he the uses idea from. The syrup. I can't remember though if if he uses the same technique to get the sheet of ice. But right. Um, but maybe. Yeah. I have the Fabian
1: cookbook. Do you think it would be in there?
0: Hmm. I I can't remember. I, I I've read that book too. I don't remember that dessert, but I, I do remember him talking about it in the. If you'll bear um, with me, I'll
1: Alan. I'll take a quick look.
0: Okay. Oh sure yeah you can yeah i have it here too the other do you remember shell i was telling you about i planted sorrel in our front yard and there was one autumn where i would walk cora to school in the morning and there had been a hard frost and she like she every morning she would walk by and she would pick a leaf of sorrel and eat it and she kept doing that even after like a really hard frost it was just like a frozen leaf of sours and she loved it yeah that's a cool and, idea and we had well I, I just thought it was kind of weird and maybe even disturbing that she enjoyed <laughs> crunching these hard frozen leaves um, but you're like well that could be like a dish that yeah. could be like you know first frost or early frost or yeah something. seriously
1: <laughs> that's a really cool idea maybe Cora's gonna be a chef yeah I'm no, no I can't find it <laughs> I was hoping that I would like look in the in, like, the index or something, and
0: I, and I would find something about ice, but it's definitely in Mind of a Chef. Sorry, I, I yeah, sorry, I'm quite sure it's in Mind of a Chef. There, there were a couple because he was profiled obviously in like multiple shows, like, he mm-hmm. was he had a Chef's Table episode, but I, so maybe it's in Chef's Table, but I, I'm pretty sure it's in Mind of a Chef. Um, but well, yeah, we should look in that and see if it was this a similar technique or what, yeah. But, um, Yes, that was a memorable dish. And the other thing I remember about the the plum palate cleanser is that we were like um well we really interested in using local fruits. That's right. why we had like a pear in the in the soup. Um but I was telling you and and this would have been this dinner would have taken place after I had planted plums in my yard right. but before I had ever harvested a plum. But there there was a, a property there is a property on tower road or 116th street in edmonton yeah. there was this beautiful plum tree that has like deep purple um you know golf ball sized plums on it in the fall and i was telling you about it and we were like half jokingly not really joking at all about going talking about going pulling
1: a plum heist in the
0: in the night and just taking some of the plums off the tree. Yeah, I um, remember that tree. Definitely... And I
1: never get to drive by it anymore. I used to drive by it all the time because that was like a... Oh, really? Yeah.
0: It's not so far from you. Though.
1: No, it's... it's Yeah, I could drive by it if I wanted to, but yeah, I never
0: did. It's just not on one of your routes. Yeah, I should.
1: I should. I should take a swing by.
0: So I don't think... I don't remember. I don't think we were able to use local plums for the your palate cleanser, right? Like, we, yeah. we definitely didn't do the heist. That didn't no. happen. But yeah, I don't know I if we did don't...
1: or not. I I can't remember. I I don't know. Like maybe I don't know. Probably not. It was probably BC plums or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we should make this dish again because yeah, it's just it's too interesting. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main event. According to my notes, this was your dish, right? And it's a leg of lamb. What do you remember about this? <sighs> not too terribly much.
1: I, in fact, I don't even remember if it was like deboned and tied, or whether it was like cooked on the bone and then, like, and then um, carved off and
0: put on the plate. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that this was roasted on the bone and presented to the table, and possibly even carved. Okay,
1: yeah. I I have a picture. This was the roasting of this lamb leg. But it's a horrible oh, really? picture, so we can't post it anywhere because there was no. <laughs> li- I was cooking it outside, and
0: mm. there was. If I, I think this aligns time wise, but uh, there was a year at Elm that we we bought like six or eight lambs from a local farm called Tangle mm-hmm. Ridge, um, and I think that this was a leg from one of those.
1: Right? Do you think it was a single leg, um, or maybe two?
0: Yeah, no, single I think it leg. was a single leg, like a like a gigot. Uh, pardon me, uh, like a gigot of yeah. lamb. And I don't. It, it's a little bit dim, but I I'm I'm I have a memory of presenting it to the table. Right.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and the whole roasted celeryac, I do remember that. It's like a presentation mm-hmm. where you basically like salt roast. You cover celeryac in salt, and then you roast them in the oven. Like, not fully encased mm. in salt, but just, like, and then um, you roast roast them whole and then take them out and allow them to cool a little bit and then cut them into wedges. And you just, they're, they're like, so juicy and they, they're so flavorful when you roast them whole and then cut them after.
0: So, so sorry, yeah, the, the full dish description was leg of lamb, whole roasted celery sorry, whole roasted celeryac, choke cherry compote and mint granulata. Yeah. Uh so another local fruit. Yeah,
1: and I think these were yeah, like locally harvested choke cherries. I think I have a memory of harvesting some choke cherries in Horlack Park. I think that might be where these choke cherries came from.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, they... I don't remember picking them. I don't. I don't remember how we scored them, but yeah, they are, they're everywhere. Yeah, I think I may have sure. gone and
1: picked them like just enough to do this or mm-hmm. something. And mint gremolata. I mean, like, who doesn't love mint with their lamb, Alan?
0: We used. To, I've worked at more than one place where we had to keep mint a jelly jar in the fridge. Mint jelly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know exactly. what one of those places so we was. Have, Jack's Grill. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because we would have our own contemporary idea of what our rack of lamb plate should have on it. But then someone would always ask. For yeah. They're just, there's one, a contingent a of, thing, yeah, there's a
1: contingent ask. of, um, older diners who can't eat lamb without mint jelly.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Roast lamb. And it was served with a, uh, a really nice, uh, Bordeaux, a really nice right bank Bordeaux, uh, that was 100 percent Merlot, which we really liked with chokecherry nice. at the time, I guess. That's what it says here.
1: <laughs> makes sense. Chosen to reinforce the chokecherry accompaniment to the lamb. That all makes sense.
0: Hmm.
1: And then we've got a cheese course by Alan with no
0: details. But I well, I remember it okay, very good. distinctly. And actually it was we've talked about it like dozen maybe time. a dozen <laughs> times on the yeah. show. It was not a cheese course by Alan. It was a by cheese Erica, course by right. Erica. And it was inspired by a cheese course that she had at Toque in Montreal, and they feature a similar dish in their cookbook, Toque: uh, The New Quebec Gastronomy. Um, and the, the concept is this: that you have a high quality cheese um, that you crumble onto a plate, yeah, like a hard cheese, kind of Usually, right? Yeah, usually. So in the in their book, it's actually a blue cheese, mm, right? Um, but if if i remember right erica had it in montreal at tokay and they made it with alberta um sylvan star grizzly gouda that's how i remember it maybe i'm confusing things but for anybody that um, doesn't
1: know what grizzly gouda is because we reference it quite a bit (laughs) it's like a it's it's a wheel of gouda that's aged for two years four years can't remember exactly how long.
0: Oh, I don't know the exact time, but it, it basically has the texture of, of parm. O- almost like parmigiano, yeah. basically, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, it's like uh it turns um, out to to be like uh yeah, like a hard grating cheese. And it's like intensely flavored. Like it has such mm. like a such a
0: kind of like brown butter brown butter flavor. Yeah, but also such like a bite, and, and then even, also
1: like really floral aromas.
0: Mm-hmm. and it like even though it's a like a hard aged cheese like if you if it's cut into shards like you can eat it out of hand uh and it it does have a once you're chewing it like it it has a creaminess to it but it has like these distinct the kind of like crunchy bits of uh calcium crystals little crystals yeah. Um, yeah exactly yeah, yeah it's full um, of
1: calcium crystals and then also it also like um, because it has a bunch of like pollen in it or something. It like has a numbing effect on on your mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I do experience that. Like it's something to do with histamine yeah, yeah. or something. Like I it it very subtly makes my tongue and throat. It does itchy. that for me too. Which and I'm, <laughs> I don't
1: really have very many allergies, so I think it's like yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. just like a lot of yeah histamine in it or something i don't know
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) which makes (laughs) i love it it's 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 well okay there's 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 a few contenders but it's definitely one of the best cheeses made in Alberta. That's great um but okay so this cheese course the the concept taken from toke um the components are i think unsweetened soft whipped cream dolloped onto a plate um some kind of crispy, very lightly sweetened meringue component. Was it lightly sweetened or is it just a full on meringue? Um, and then your featured cheese like sliced or crumbled. Um, and then if you're familiar with the plating of tokay, like this very kind of chaotic, uh, um, random, um, scattering across the plate, um, And so, yeah, this, this, this was done, I I believe with Grizzly Gouda for this dinner. Um, And so you get like the, the saltiness and the flavor of the cheese, the sweetness of the meringue, and then the kind of like the, the, the moist, the, the creaminess of the, of the soft whipped cream. And it's really, really fun and really wonderful. And actually this kind of presentation wouldn't be appropriate for most of the catering that we did at the time. But when we got the opportunity to do a plated dinner and a a course dinner like this, I would love to do this cheese course and to explain like we're doing this and we call it Grizzly Gouda a la toque because (laughs) Erica ate this at toque and it's just such a fun way to present the cheese. And Yeah
1: yeah sounds delicious mm-hmm. um, and that was I guess well yeah you wouldn't call that dessert but that's the beginning of the dessert section great right, yeah looks like Erica took care of a lot of the dessert
0: here that makes sense Erica's great at pastry So, our, and the first uh, proper sweet course I have chocolate cardamom crema I think do English speakers say crema I believe so okay sorry chocolate cardamom cremo <laughs> with oh I forgot about this sirene chocolate is that how you say it
1: yeah I don't actually know what that is
0: so that that was I don't even I don't know if that's how you say it properly but it was a chocolate maker I think they're out of Victoria and we used to carry it at little, like their actual retail bars they would Oh, sell well, it yeah at that little makes brick. sense um and so it was i believe like a like a you know bar what is it bean to bar chocolate maker in right Victoria. oh i just googled it and now uh, yeah
1: i recognize the label now that i see it i had forgotten about that
0: mm. uh so sirene chocolate orange shortbread and tonka bean ice cream
1: yeah also have no idea I like don't where have we a got mental image tonka of that, beans <laughs> I know they're around in the city. I know there were places that had them on their menu and stuff like that. Had them as a flavoring on their menu. So, mm. but uh, but yeah, that's a really interesting um, mm-hmm. dessert idea. I haven't also haven't had tonka bean in like forever. This is, menu is making me really nostalgic for a time that doesn't seem very long ago to me, Alan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like because of you mean just because it's fine dining or because of just the memories of working out of little brick uh
1: well or... not necessarily little brick what but yeah think? like yeah because yeah i don't know working with my good friends to put on an amazing dinner and like trying different like all kinds of different you know types of preparations that were ideas that other people like collaborative you know making a collaborative mm-hmm. dinner where we all have like dish ideas that we bring to the table and stuff like that it was, It was a lot of fun. I did, I did a a quite, quite a bit of that at one point.
0: Mm -hmm. And this was like this dinner and the collaboration that you're talking about, like this was something very special. Like this was not our day-to-day, you know, in in catering or in, or in the, in the cafe operation. I wouldn't mind talking about our day-to-day
1: catering ideas and menus and things on the podcast as a as like a topic at some point but yeah i don't think that we would be talking about this Mm -hmm. menu if this was just like you know one of the regular sort of like catering dinner menus that we that we did a lot you know like Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Mm
1: -hmm. this is like something special for sure Mm
0: uh the next dessert course was sour cherry galette this one i remember quite well actually the description is just Evans cherry, kirsch, almond, and cream. This was the galette shape, like the rustic form of pie um, with Evans cherries uh, locally sourced. And this too was presented whole table side. So it was like the the pie with the crust folded right. in towards the center. And then the, the ice cream or the, I can't remember, actually, was it ice cream? Whatever the cream component was, I, I think it was actually ice cream, but it was just like a big ball of it, just put right into the middle of the worm pie, so Melting. it was like starting yeah. to melt into the crust, and we just like chopped it up at the table and put it onto plates for them, um, and and it was served with uh, with sour cherry liqueur uh, that was that was that we made.
1: So. That's pretty dope. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's basically the end of the menu. Uh, except Erica also made some petty Fours.
0: Coconut truffles, salted caramels, and lemon meringues. Those were all kind of staples of the um like the catering uh petty four like if if someone requested a sweet hors d'oeuvre, um she made really great coconut truffles. Uh her salted caramels that ended up does she still make those? Uh the like the salted caramel, the red caramel. It's a good question, caramels. Alan. <laughs> you know who can answer it um and then i don't know if this is exactly what was served at the dinner but the lemon meringues i know she used to do this kind of play on pavlova that was like little kind of teardrop shaped um crispy yep. meringues where you could pick up the the pointed end of the teardrop and in the round the the larger round part of the teardrop there would usually be like a little, like dollop of pastry cream and some kind of compote or fresh fruit and basil or something like that. So I I think that's what was served here. But
1: Yeah. I'm missing this, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a lot of work. I know it's always like, you know, it's always like so much to do a dinner like this. And I don't know, even when you have a venue that's like equipped to do it, it's still like, Because this menu was like something that we did once. I mean, like you said, some of the ideas get reused and some of them stick around over time and stuff. But like, you know, this collection of dishes and a lot of dishes on this menu, this is like the only time basically that they got made. And um, I don't know, that's, that's sort of like the ultimate kind of like testament to the ephemerality of doing something like cooking you know like you just there's this you know Mm -hmm. there's an event that happens there's like a time and a place and you make these dishes once and some people get to eat them and have an experience hopefully it's memorable like hopefully you get to have a memorable experience preparing them but then it's just gone And then you maybe get to talk about it on a podcast like eight years later or something. (laughs)
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I should say this, but it's making me want to have like a food court fancy dinner. It's making me want to like find a place that we can like throw like a multi-course dinner and like, you know, have friends of the show come and provide dishes <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I don't know, maybe that's an anniversary project okay. or something. Like we need more projects.
0: Which anniversary? Well, you better convince <laughs> Erica. <laughs> I mean, I'll try. Erica, if you're
1: listening, please Thanks for listening to Food Court, a podcast recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Food Court is hosted by Alan Sudabee and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favourite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening.